good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are listening to this, uh, this teaching. I greet every one of us, and I pray that God will help us in the name of Jesus to understand this word for what it is in Jesus' name. Please, can you hear me very loudly? Loud and clear. Yes. All right. Thank you. So um, today or tonight, this morning, whenever it is in your side, we shall be talking about spiritual gift, as Brother Paul has uh, already said. Now, spiritual gift, one of the things that I will first like to clear is, it is not, um, although it's, it's close to what we call talent or just a natural ability, but it's a spiritual ability given by the Holy Spirit to help build the body of Christ, to help build the church. So we could say that all believers, ministers, uh, minister their gift to building of the body. And in this building, it ensures unity and a single testimony to the word of God. And let's open our Bible to the book of Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 3. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. I read from here. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt with each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace which is given to us, let's use let us use them. If prophecy, let's prophesy in proportion of our faith or ministry, let us use it in our ministry. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Hallelujah. So this place, there's something I, I picked from here when I, I was reading that uh, Apostle Paul uh, relates the spiritual gift to the different parts of human body, different parts of human body. And one of the things, one of the big things that I see in this different part of human body is um, a hand cannot pray that it will become the head or that it will become the thinker or maybe the hand will pray that it will become the back. I know that we know about this place, uh, I mean, familiar with these scriptures that says we should desire the best gift, but we are still going there. But in relating to hand, every hand, uh, every part of the body has its own function. So is every one of us in the body of Christ, we are related to the parts of a body which has its own function, meaning that uh, the best I could do is to discover what God has given unto me. Uh, I pray God will help us in the name of Jesus. Now, quickly, let's go into the types of the gifts, type of spiritual gift, or let me say the categories, not yet type now, but the categories, the two broad categories of spiritual gift. One is the edifying gift, edifying gift. And the other is confirmatory or confirming gift. Now, the edifying gift uh, is the one that is used to minister mainly among believers, to build, to edify, to comfort, and, uh, and the likes. So that's what this um, gift is all about. Why the confirming gift is the one that is 
uh, manifested or used to confirm the word for an unbeliever, for an unbeliever to know that, okay, God is speaking, is, is uh, authenticate the message of the messenger. That is confirmatory gift. All right, let's, let's go into the list. Number one of the, of the gift is um, prophecy. According to the Romans chapter 12, verse 6 to verse 8 that we read, we saw prophecy, exhortation, mercy, service, giving, teaching, and the likes like that. These, all believers are uh, encouraged to use their gift, to use this gift, because it helps to the building of the body. It helps in working for the, it's just like a physical body. Uh, when I'm eating, it is not only my mouth that will be working, both my hand, maybe, let's say the right hand, will be picking the food and will be putting it into the mouth. The teeth will chew it and the tongue will taste the food. It is, it is, we know about that. So also, this gift, they are to work together. Everyone, every one of us are to work together to the building of body. I believe that this uh, ability or this, this gift is already in everyone that, I mean, let's take for instance, all of us that are gathered in this uh, online meeting, um, one person would have invited another. That's a kind of service, inviting one another for this teaching. Uh, for yes, for this teaching, there are people who are into the service of giving, of giving people, empowering people, probably through data or food or whatsoever it is. So every one of us, we are encouraged to do this to the building of the body, and to the end that there might be a single testimony to the word of God. Hallelujah. So now all these gifts, all these um, edifying gifts, we have no issue concerning them. They are not a problem. Uh, where people have a, a kind of controversy are the confirmatory gifts, and we will go uh, into that straight away now. Okay, so now let's, take, let's go into uh, John, chapter, John chapter 10, verse 25. John chapter 10, verse 25 and verse 38. Jesus Christ speaking here. He said, Jesus answered them, I told you, and do not, you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. So this work is not referring to preaching or sleeping or waking up. It's referring to uh, the confirmatory gift that we are talking about, the authenticating gift, the one that authenticates, that confirms that Jesus Christ is truly sent from God. He said in verse 38, but if I do, Though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. We will also um, remember the testimony of Nicodemus in John chapter 3, that he was saying that no one can do this except the Father be with him. So uh, he was not referring to Jesus' uh, method of teaching because he was being called rabbi, right? He was not referring to the, the teaching or the didactic uh, ability of Jesus Christ he was not referring to the giving. Yes, Jesus Christ gives. He, he, he used to give then when he was here on earth. He, he gave to the poor and the likes. But he was referring to this extraordinary ability, which we could call the confirmatory gift. All right. Um, let's go into chapter 14, verse 11 of the same book, John chapter 14, verse 11. 
John 14, verse 11. He said, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Ah, ah, wow. Jesus Christ seemed to be repeating this same thing so that our attention will be drawn towards something that it seems to be exclusive to this, uh, our Savior, Jesus Christ. He said, believe me, believe me that I am the Savior of the world because of the works that I do. So there seems to be a kind of exclusive feature here that this thing seems to be only for Jesus Christ or otherwise, So, which we will look into as we move on. Now, what are these works? What are these uh, works that Jesus Christ was referring to? Of course, he was referring to what he later called sign in Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, verse 14 to 18. He was referring to the same thing that he called sign. Chapter um, 16, Mark chapter 16, verse 14 to 18. I read from here. He said, later he appeared to the 11 as they sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Verse 15, he said, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. I can't hear but, you. I can't hear you. Oh, it's please, let's, let's pause the thing. He said, he who believes and is baptized will be saved but he who does not believe will be condemned. Verse 17. And these signs will follow those who believe. Now, these signs are the confirmatory gift that I, I was referring to. Um, said these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. This is speaking of, let's say, miracle. They will speak with new tongues. This is talking about diverse of tongues. And they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hand on the sick, and they will recover. This speaks of healing. So we have three major uh, um, confirmatory gifts, which were listed here. We have the miracles, healing, and tongues. Of course, if there is a tongue, then there is a need for the interpretation of tongues, making for. So miracle, healing, tongues, and the interpretation of the tongues. All right? So the, Jesus Christ brought out this four gifts majorly and uh, excluded the other gifts which were, which were uh, listed by Apostle Paul in Corinthians, in Ephesians, and in Romans. He excluded, he, he removed these specific gifts and he called them sign gifts. This sign shall follow those who believe. Now, why would Jesus Christ do this? Why would Jesus Christ be so specific with these four gifts? Now, these four gifts work together, actually, in every place they appear. Uh, let's look into um, 2 Corinthians chapter, four, uh, chapter 12, verse 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. He said, truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Paul speaking here, he called these signs signs of apostle. He called these signs sign of an apostle, meaning that as Jesus Christ had these signs, 
it was delegated, it's like a kind of delegation to his uh, apostles. And he said that this time we follow those who believe what you said, right? Those who believe the message. Now, this sign, the word, the sign of an apostle is a definite, definite word coming before that word sign. It's a definite, meaning that it's not just any sign, but sign of an apostle, okay? As if their names are tagged with the signs. Now, does that mean that anybody did not uh, perform this sign? No, that's not what I am trying to say. We are trying to trace where it comes from and probably where it will end. Praise God. All right. So now let's look into the book of Hebrew. Hebrew chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. Hebrew chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. Please, if you have any question, just pen it down. Uh, there will be time for question, uh, question and answers. All right. Hebrew chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have shared, uh, we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through the angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received just reward, pointing to the Old Testament, um, verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? Now, you see, the sign followed who believed the word that you hear, right? So what happened? He said, God also bearing witness, both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gift of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. Now, there are two things that we see here, that this thing did not stop with Jesus Christ. There's a continuation of it. And when it got to uh, these people, uh, the writer of Hebrew was referring to some people that God bear these people, these apostles, witness with both signs and wonders, with various miracles, uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit, according to his will. Meaning that even if this thing was uh, a, a common feature within the apostles, it was still according to God's will. It was not automatic. It was not automatic. God still had will, and he still decided when to heal and who to heal. said according to his own will. All right. So now, the word that I want us to see there is the word confirm. He said he confirmed what they were saying with signs and order. That word confirm, is, it means made believable. What you are saying is true because of the sign I see you perform. So that is why I call it confirmatory gift that verifies or authenticates the message of the, of the teacher or of the preacher. So who were these apostles? That leads us to the next thing. Who were these apostles? Uh, we could see if we are very, very consistent with uh, our previous studies, uh, we would know that the apostles, uh, we have three uh, major uh, major people who are called uh, apostles. The first one is Jesus Christ, the apostle of our calling. The second one is the 12, and the third one is all believers, because it means uh, apostolos, which means um, uh, the sent one, the person who is sent. Now, Jesus Christ is out of the show here in this context, in Hebrew chapter uh, 2, verse uh, 3 and 4. Now, you, God was, is not referring to Jesus as the them that God bore sign with. It was referring to them. Who were this them? Then we could say it is the 12, the 12 apostles, including Apostle Paul. 
all right? So the 12 apostles were the one that is being referred to. Now, if it is referring to all believers, that God is bearing all believers' witness, then this person who is writing this would have included himself. He would have said that God bearing us witness with sign. No, he specifically removed himself out of the show and says that God bear them uh, witness. And with the previous scripture that we read, in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 12, that says that the sign of an apostle. So meaning that this is talking about the 12. So it is obvious that it's referring to the 12 who had already left. And when they left, the question now is, can this gift continue? Please don't uh, use um, experience, don't use the things we see, let's use the scriptures to answer the question as we move on. Hallelujah. All right. Um, now, the question we should ask ourselves is, does the church today need a confirmatory gift or through miracle to uh, authenticate the word, the word of God? Do we need miracles? Do we need um healing? Do we need speaking in tongues? Do we need interpretation of tongues to confirm? I'm not saying do we need this gift. The question is, do we need this gift to confirm, to confirm uh, the, the authenticity of the word of God? Now, um, Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2 verse 3, reading from that same uh, Hebrew, let's just read the verse 3. It said, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. When something is confirmed, there is no need for a further verification again. And that word was confirmed. Uh, that word confirmed. Ordinary word confirmed means uh, in Hebrew word, it is bebaju, bebahyu. But it was not written as bebahyu in the in the manuscript, it was a bibliothe, something like that. Now, what does that mean? The ebe before that word is, is an aorist tense, which means was confirmed, was already confirmed. It's as if there is no further uh, uh, thing you can do about it. It was already confirmed. That's aorist verb. is a kind of tense in a Greek word. And um, a similar word or a similar tense that we could use in English for that is past perfect tense. It's like saying, I had already seen him. So it's something that had already been completed in the past. So it was already confirmed to us by those who heard him through signs and wonders and miracles. So the answer to the question that I asked earlier, that does the church today need confirmatory uh, a gift or miracle to confirm the word, the answer will be no. The, the church do not need that. In fact, the little or no right answer for this question is the reason for the worldwide deception that we have today. And we will move into the deception. Uh, any question at this junction? Yeah, uh, NLT version of that Hebrews 4, Hebrews 2 that you read, makes it more clearer. The NLT version says in verses 3, so what makes us think we can escape if we, if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself? 
and then delivered. Not is being delivered or delivering, delivered to us by those who heard him speak. So number one is delivered. Number two, those who heard him speak were the ones that gave us the eyewitness account of the resurrected Christ. So this also further explained that this text was referring to the apostles of the Lamb. Someone's hands are up, Brother Lawas' hands are up, and uh, Brother Carl. Yes, um, good morning, everybody. I just wanted to ask a question uh, about um, the gifts uh, that was uh, intended to confirm uh, the apostleship. And, you know, some people may argue that uh, the Bible says, uh, you know, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And uh, if he did miracles, then he can still do it okay. also today. Um, so how would you respond to that? <laughs> you want me to answer right. that, Brother John? <laughs> okay, okay, sir. Answer. All right. Uh, one of the rules of biblical interpretation is called context. And in that context, when the book of Hebrew was referring to Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever, it was encouraging the Hebrews believer who were losing faith. And the writer was bringing them to bear that some people, some Christians had gone before you and they had lived the faithful life. The Jesus that helped them is still the one that will help you and is still the one that will help those who are coming ahead. So if we interpret that as uh, Jesus did just a miracle yesterday, that means Jesus also had food in John, he was tired in John 12. Is he tired today? He slept yesterday in the boat. Is he sleeping today? He cried, and his uh, 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 and his, his tears was dropping like blood yesterday. Is it is it still happening today? So we only picked we only picked that aspect of miracle to interpret that uh, that text. But the best for us not to put ourselves in tight corner is to let the text explain itself. Fine. Is it wrong, therefore, to now say Jesus Christ is yesterday, today, and tomorrow? Of course, the miracle, the healing power of God is available all the time. But that text. It's not referring to healing. That text was referring to the, in that context, uh, was an encouragement to the people it was writing to. So, Brother Carl, Jesus said, Okay, good evening. He still heals. They're still healing Christ, but not uh, the way we use that text. Or else we put ourselves in tight corner. Okay, my question is this um, regarding what you said about the confirmatory gifts. The signs uh, in Acts, you see that happens so often, God confirming the, the world with signs and wonders following, you know, in fact, the word signs in itself tells you that it is pointing to something. Um, but you said, it, you, the question I have is about what you said, that it doesn't happen now. Um, when God sent Moses to, to, to the Pharaoh of Egypt, Moses asked God, the question, how will they know? Did I, did I say it doesn't happen now? Sorry. Did I say it doesn't happen now? Yes, you said that the signs, the confirmatory signs of an apostle would not apply, would, would not occur today. No, that's uh, not what so, Sorry, sorry, bro. You, you have twisted, sorry, you have twisted his word. That's okay, 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 okay. okay. I said does the church need that gift to confirm the message of the messenger today. Okay. That's the question I asked. So let and me I ask said... a question. Let me ask a question because right. it's, it's, similar, it's a similar sentiment that, um, that I have in mind. 
um, when God sent Moses to speak to the Pharaoh and he asked him, how will uh, the Pharaoh know who sent me? And he says, I am that I am and all of that. Then God proceeds to give him a series of miracles that will let them know that truly he was sent from God. Um, it appears that human beings will believe the, the uh, it, it appears that human beings will believe in the supernatural if they see mirac the miraculous. Um, John 3, 2, we know that you are a man sent from God because nobody can do the things you do except God be with him. There's this idea that if there's miracles, then God must be present. So um, if God is, let's say God is commissioning somebody into ministry, um, and there's a lot of difficulty in accepting this person as a minister, does, do, the question I'm, is, it, um, is it possible that God can confirm his ministry to the people he's sent to by a series of works, by a series of signs and wonders today? That's my question. All right, to your question, sir. Yes, God can do anything he wants to do uh, because he's God and that he's supernatural, he's spirit, and um, whatsoever he wants to do, he can. Nobody can question him. And the most of the things he does is always extraordinary, if not all. The creation of heaven and earth, the creation of everything on earth is a miracle. No one can do that. And um, so we can't say God cannot. When we are putting God in a, a, a kind of impossibility box, except the one he put himself to, then we are actually limiting him. All right? For example, the Bible said God cannot lie. So that he put himself in that position. So we can't say God can lie. What we will say is God cannot lie. Well, to say that can God still do miracle or confirm the things he wants to do through his um, beloved or through his minister? Yes, of course, he can do that. Now, uh, let's see this way, like a, uh, let's say a chess game, a chess game or a Ludo game. Um, the, the, the pawns, those things that are being moved, let's see that as human beings on earth. And the game, the game in the, in the, uh, what is it called? The game on the, that thing that's the flat thing, let's call it the earth, and those things that people move, let's call it the human beings, for, instance, uh, for example. Now, when a player is moving those pawns, okay, is, is a normal thing, right? So also we could say that it's a normal thing for God to put his hand into his own earth and move things to his own will. So we cannot put God in a box. God can do anything he wants to do. But what we are trying to bring out from all these verses, all these places that we have read is that this gift, this specific four gifts or three or four gifts are confirmatory. They are confirming something and it is evident throughout the, the pages of the scriptures, including the story of uh, Moses. Okay, the story of Moses revealed that, okay, a new era, in the beginning of a new era, we always find most of these gifts coming into show. Okay, so miracle, healing, extraordinary experiences always come most of the time with new era. We will still talk about it. So don't, don't worry about that. We will still uh, say more about that. So now, the question I asked is, 
does the church today need confirmatory gift to confirm the word of a of a uh, of a believer no they do not because i said does the church yeah. the church of god is expected to to be grounded in the word of god to be grounded in the word of christ so if you follow the word of god you cannot be deceived by anything miracle or not all right so that's what i i, I meant now let's see the word of jesus christ concerning miracle and concerning if someone is a true minister or not. Matthew chapter 24, verse 24. Jesus Christ speaking here. Matthew 24, 24. It says, for false Christs. Now, when it says false Christ, it means someone who is appearing to be a savior or someone who is anointed. That word Christ means the anointed one. So, and we have that word commonly today, the anointed of God or the anointed man of God. He said, false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders, not just signs and wonders, great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. That means their deceit will be so, so cunning that even if it is possible, the elect will be deceived. All right? And this word is also repeated by Mark, meaning that uh, uh, Matthew was not dreaming. It actually happened. Mark also wrote the same thing. Uh, in Mark chapter 13, verse 22. Mark 13, verse 22, for whoever is jotting that down. Now, Matthew chapter 12, verse 39. Matthew 12, verse 39 says, But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seek after sign. This is why I said that the church does not need to use this sign and wonder to confirm a man of God. Jesus Christ called those who are looking for sign as a confirmatory gift as adulterous and evil generation. The church of Christ cannot be called adulterous and evil generation. So we could say that the church of Christ does not need those miracles to confirm. I am not saying that miracles do not happen in the church. I am not saying that miracles do not happen among, uh, among believers. But I am saying that um, church is not looking for miracles to confirm if you are a man called by God. All right. So it says, an evil and adulterous generation seek after a sign. And no sign will be given to it except the sign of Prophet Jonas. And the sign of Prophet Jonas is directly linking to the gospel. It's just a message. The message of Jesus Christ, the, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as pictured by the story of Jonah. That's the sign. So that we should look for. Is this person teaching the sound doctrine? Is he focused on Jesus Christ? Is he elevating Jesus Christ? That is what we should be looking for, not signs and wonders. All right. Um, confirmation to that is chapter 16, verse 4 of the same Matthew. Matthew 16, verse 4. Mark chapter 8, verse 11 to 12. And Luke chapter 11, verse 29. Mark chapter 8, verse 11 to 12. And Luke 11, Verse 29. I'm quoting all this. We do not have a luxury of time to, to read all scriptures because we are still going a quite a long way. All right. So now let's quickly see First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22 uh, to 24. We have, uh, we have four ends, but we won't take it now. Just keep your hands there. Uh, let's take it. Let's move a little bit, then we'll get back to you. All right. Okay, First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22 to 24. And I'm sorry, I would like to quickly say that most of what um, we don't get now, I will later explain them later. This is just an introduction. 
Okay, I will still go in depth to most of the things. So your question might be answered while we move on. All right. So first Corinthians chapter one, verse 22 to 24, it said, for the Jews request a sign and the Greek seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. That's the sign of Jonas, the death of Jesus Christ. To the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. Meaning that when people look for a sign, they fall away. It's like a stumbling block to them. Okay, and to the Greeks, foolishness. It doesn't make sense to them because they are looking for technical things, deep things, powerful, uh, logical, and deep I don't know, scientific or whatsoever thing that they are looking for. He said, verse 24, but to those who are called, or otherwise those who are saved, both Jews and Greeks, those who are saved among the Jews, those who are saved among the Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So the message of the gospel is already seen as the power of God and the wisdom of God. But the Jews and the Greeks are looking for science and wisdom. They will never find that. Or let's say they would be misled. All right? So now, we could say that spiritual gifts, especially this confirmatory gift, they are great. Who does not like healing? Who does not like a miracle? Who does not love um, speaking in tongues and interpreting it? They are all great things. And, uh, but we must allow the scriptures to check everything. They must all be tied to doctrine. They must all be tied to doctrine. That is why in 1 Corinthians chapter, 20, uh, chapter 14, verse 27 to 29, 1 Corinthians 14, 27 to 29, he said, if anyone speaks in tongue, let there be two, or at the most three in tongue. This is talking about inside the church, whenever there is a gathering and people are fellowshipping or whatsoever, he said only two or at most three people should speak in tongues. I don't think that's the order of the day today. He said, each in turn, that means one after the other. No two people must speak in tongues at the same time. And let one interpret, okay? But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church. Meaning that we should never hear of any tongues without its interpretation, and it must be one after the other. And let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. This is a normal thing, or this was a normal thing that Paul was putting to the Corinthian church. But we do not have that today. What, what am I bringing out from this is that we must allow doctrine to judge the way we use our spiritual gifts. We must allow doctrine to be the final say, the doctrine of Christ, the true doctrine, to be the final say for whatsoever spiritual gift we want to manifest. Hallelujah. So the word of God is the final test, right? Now let's look into um, Luke chapter 16, verse 31. Luke 16, 31. Luke 16, 31. He said, but he said to him, um, Abraham speaking to the rich man, you remember the issue of Abraham and the, and the rich man and Lazarus, okay? Um, the, um, in context now, the rich man was telling Abraham that let someone rise from the dead and go and minister to his people, etc. But uh, Abraham said in verse 31 that if, uh, but he said, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, talking about the Old Testament, Genesis to Malachi, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rises from the dead. 
meaning that miracle of healing, uh, uh, miracles, healing, uh, whatsoever sign, big sign, gigantic thing, extraordinary thing, as great and as good as they are, they cannot save people. It is not meant to save people. It's just to give a sign that, of course, you do not believe me when I was speaking, but you remember that I did sign among you. Remember the word of Jesus Christ. If you don't believe me because of the word, at least try and believe me now because of the signs that I do or the works that I do. So what Abraham was saying, because he's an authority or authoritative figure in the scriptures, Abraham said that even if someone rises from the dead, people will not be saved. That's not what saved people. What saved people is the message of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. All right. So denying the finality and the authority of the scriptures is what leads people to heresy. Denying the finality. The scriptures are, had already spoken. Now, we always quote this word that uh, if uh, people do not see sign and wonder, uh, they will not believe the word that Jesus Christ said. But that does not make it uh, a rule that Jesus Christ wants to be doing sign and wonder and forsake them. We remember Matthew 24, 24 that we read, okay? And some other scriptures that we opened that Jesus Christ was saying that don't allow sign and wonder to deceive you. Amen. Now, in Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, Paul mentioned that evangelist and the teaching shepherd, but he did not say that those signs, miracles, will be what we uh, build the church. What he pointed to is sound doctrine that they will use to build and equip the body of Christ in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 downward. Equipping the body of Christ and the likes, nothing about spiritual gifts. They are good, but we just have to put them in their places, both the confirmatory and the edifying gifts. None of it is, is to, uh, to get people born again or to get people to the kingdom of God or whatsoever it is. It's good is to ensure unity, and they are great. But confirmatory gifts or whichever gift is not what brings people into maturity in Christ. It is sound doctrine. Amen. Now, if miraculous gift would continue today, we have to expect it from a sound Bible teachers or a missionary field where there is no Bible. Because the word of God, the Bible says, is this sufficient for all into uh, making people perfect in Christ Jesus. If you see uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16, we will see much about that there. And yet, it won't give attention to that person or that man on the pupit. The spiritual gift does not give attention to that man on the pupit. You will remember uh, when um, Peter and his friend were, I think Peter and John or so, were going, into that, uh, going through that bit called Beautiful. And they, uh, fortunately, someone was healed through their ministration. And they went into the temple. They were saying, we did not do this thing. It was that same Jesus that you crucified that did this thing. So meaning that attention is not given to the miracle, the so-called miracle worker, but Jesus Christ. Now, people may claim that Jesus is the miracle worker, but we know who we are seeing. We must be seeing Jesus Christ and not any man. All right. So now... Um, Miracles, we just pick this uh, confirmatory gift one after the other and quickly talk a brief about them. Miracle, 
Miracle is mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, as one of the spiritual gifts, and is given to people, is given unto one miracle. So miracle is, is a, a spiritual gift. Now, the question that people like to ask when we are saying this thing is, as miracle ceased, or as God stopped doing miracle, well, the answer is no. If there's a God, then miracle is not a big deal. It's not a, God is not a man. He's God, the creator of heaven and earth. So there's nothing he wants to do, healing of a sick or raising people from the dead. But he created in, in, the, in the first place. Repairing car and making a car, which one is, which one is more tasking? Repairing a device or building or manufacturing a device, which one is more is bigger? Of course, it is the manufacturing. So if God created the heaven and earth, repairing anybody or healing anybody is not a big deal to God. So God does miracle and he still does the miracle even till today. Our life that we are believers, that we can see down here and stick with the scripture is a miracle because this Jesus, where is he? Can we see him? When was he crucified? Was I there? Did I see him when he raised from the dead? But we believe these things. These are facts of miracle. This is a, a, a clear uh, indication that there is miracle. And salvation is the greatest of all miracles. It's the greatest of all miracles. So if someone is saved, okay, we should see that this is a miracle. Now, this testimony that we give in churches, well, it should be added that people should be given a testimony of salvation. That yes, I, I, someone came to preach the gospel to me and I was saved, hallelujah. And he would go back to his seat and sit down. But what we pay attention to are the physical things, uh, the wound that is healed, a car that I, I bought, a phone that I bought, what's, what, a, what a washing down on the, on the high authority of the scriptures. Okay, miracle is there and it happens. It is here and it happens. If someone is sick, if we pray, God can heal the person. All right? But it does not substantiate the scripture. It does not bring down the scriptures. He raises, he, he lifts his word above his name. And we must exalt his word above everything else. He does what he does when he likes to do. All right? Now, let's quickly go into the history of miracle. The Bible history of miracle. We still go back to history and we'll check from 70 AD to date uh, what about it. So now, the Bible uh, miracle. Now, the Bible is a story of 4,000 years. Story of 4,000 years. And then we could only see four major uh, places of miracle. Creation of the heaven and earth done by God. So we attribute those things to God directly. No medium. And the second one is Moses, Moses and Joshua. We see miracle around Moses and Joshua. Now, about 600 years or more, there was no miracle. When Elijah came in to show, there was a miracle. And he stopped at Elisha's period. He stopped again after Elisha died. Of course, okay, his dead body raised a dead man. But after that one, there wasn't a miracle again until Jesus showed up, 2,500 or so. So now, I'm not saying that miracle did not happen in those silent period. What I'm saying is, is that we could not point to one person that, okay, oh, this person 
is having the gift of miracle, or God does miracle through him, like we see in Moses, Joshua, uh, the story of Joshua, it happened only two, two times. When they were entering uh, through Jericho, and um, when he stopped the earth or the sun, whichever case it may be. And Elisha, Elijah, then Jesus Christ and his apostles. So we will see that from the stress of this history, God does miracle whenever he wishes. It's not an everyday experience. It's not something that happens every time. It's not something they see every time. God, yes, interrupts into the affairs of man and does something and take back his hand and watch people. Okay? So that is the history of miracle throughout the Bible. Now, what about New Testament? Uh, was miracle throughout from uh, Matthew to Revelation. We will look into that in some moments. Now, Jesus Christ told Thomas, and I'm paraphrasing, and we all know that. If because you see me, you believe. Uh, uh, blessed are those who do not see me, and yet they believe, right? We know about that. But the way I could put it is that Jesus Christ told Thomas that we who believe him today, that he rose from the dead, that's a miracle, without external proof, are blessed. We that see him today, that, okay, uh, we believe him today, that he rose from the dead, and we did not see a proof like Thomas did. We are blessed. So there is a blessing, even if we do not see miracle. So let's not be worried, and let's trust God to do what he wants to do when he wants to do it. Let's pray if we need one, but everything still goes back to God. Hallelujah. So, can your salvation be, uh, that's a question, a rhetorical question that I would like to ask now, is that can your salvation be based on grace alone, through faith alone, without an aid of miracle, without an aid of um, something else? Can your salvation be based on grace alone, through faith alone, evidence of things not seen? Can your salvation be based on something that you cannot see? That's a question I would like us to uh, meditate on as we move along with this uh, teaching. So miracle has, has not ceased, as I have said, but the gift, has the gift ceased? That's a, another question which I would not like to answer yet. Let's go through the scriptures, okay? Now, when we are going through the scriptures, please don't come back to uh, the God's general book or uh, whichever story you want to refer to, let's stick, uh, stick with the scriptures. The scripture is sufficient to answer us for all we have to look for, okay? Because whatever, why I'm saying that we should not focus on that book called God's General is because whatsoever uh, promote man rather than God, whatsoever elevate mysticism, whatsoever um, um, promote paganism or magic, whatsoever promote hypnotism are not of God. And I will talk about that sometime moments. All right. Now, let's come back to the, the apostles or the New Testament, how we can trace the matter of miracle. Now, the apostles did miracles, yes, but for a while. And we will see it consistently if we are very, very conversant with the scriptures. Now, the letters of Timothy, uh, the letters to Timothy, to Titus, there was no emphasis on miracle. Uh, Paul, in Paul's own life, there was no emphasis on miracle to himself 
or to fellow believers. No emphasis. He spent two years in Antioch. There was no emphasis on miracle. In Corinth, no, no emphasis on miracle. I'm not saying that miracle did not happen, but it was not a big deal as we have it today. Uh, in Thessalonica, no, no emphasis. In Debbie, in Berea, all we see is emphasis on the scriptures. Now, only limited and temporary time do we have or see miracles in the lives of these people. Now, this is not only so for Paul, okay? But any miraculous ages that we have throughout the Bible possess limited, uh, limited span or limited time. The man who, who exhibits or performs the greatest or the, the, yes, miracle, the longest, not the greatest now, miracle, the longest, was Moses. And he did that for 40 years. 40 years. And after him, maybe two miracles from uh, Mr. Mr. Uh, Joshua, and that's all. The next 600 years, we are seeing another. All right. So there was no emphasis. It was just a limited time. Jesus was the only one who did miracle so massively. But even him at the mountain of Gethsemane, uh, he was praying and sweating blood, expecting that one miracle will just happen and the world will be saved without necessarily him dying. But we see that that prayer was not answered. Okay? So that prayer, although he was sweating blood, that did not produce a miracle. We'll still come back to that uh, later. Now let's move to healing. Healing. Healing, uh, healing appears many, many places in the scriptures, most especially the New Testament. And um, as a gift, it appeared in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, said to another healing. So God is, now, just like miracle, at God's own sovereign will or response to prayer. We could see that in James chapter 5, uh, verse 15, said that, and the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sin, he will be forgiven. So God heals in response to prayer and at his own sovereign will. Okay? But there's something I would like to, uh, a statement I would like to make, and it's a bold statement. And that is, no one today can heal at will. I don't like to heal today, I will heal tomorrow. No one can do that. Uh, I will heal. Uh, I will heal that person in five uh, five p.m. or five a.m. Nobody can heal at will. God heals people when we pray in response to prayer, but no one can heal at will as we have in the time of the apostles. And I will explain why it is so. Now this. Ability. Now, in the introduction that I made, I, we've already clarified the fact that there's something they call sign of an apostle, the sign of an apostle, and we've seen that consistently, and one of it is healing, okay? So, but even this healing in the apostles' time, it began to dwindle at some point. It began to dwindle at some point. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 20. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 20, he said, Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus, I have left in Miletus, sick. So Paul left Trophimus sick in Miletus. 
Why didn't he heal him? He has the ability. He has the sign of an apostle. 2 Corinthians 12, 12. He has the sign of an apostle. Why didn't he heal him? Well, a question, that question will be answered later in Philippians chapter 2, verse 25 to 27. Philippians chapter 2, verse 25 to 27. Yet, I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick, for indeed he was sick almost unto death. When the sickness began, Paul did not heal him until almost unto death. But God had mercy on him. That means at God's will, at God's sovereign time, he healed him. And not only on him, but on me also. Wow. Lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. But, bro, Paul, I thought you could heal people too. But he, this man looked like he's dependent on God. And whenever God wants to heal, he heals people. Not only that, Paul himself had health issues that he called tongues in the flesh, a body pain that was caused either by sickness or by beatings, uh, persecution. We, do not, we are not sure what it was, but it was a physical pain that came into his body. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 to 10, he was praying to Jesus Christ that Jesus will heal him. But I thought you have the gift of healing. But I thought you can heal people at will. This time, this ability began to dwindle in the New Testament church. Now, um, let me read it out. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 to 10. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10. Unless I should be exalted above measure, this is the reason why he thought that God withhold the healing from him. He said, uh, by the abundance of revelation, he had revelation so well. He said, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me, the healing. Okay? And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmity. This is a man boasting in his pains. That the power of Christ may rest upon me. What's that power of Christ? It's just pointing to the testimony of Jesus. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmity, in reproaches, in need, in persecution, in distress. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Okay, he's not looking into his physical uh, pains. He was looking into a, something that we can't see. And that's talking about evidence of things not seen. Look at, look at uh, this in, in addition to that thought, Galatians 4, Galatians 4.13. Uh, surely remember that I was sick when I first brought you the good news. This is Paul speaking. But even though my condition tempted you to reject me, you did not despise me or turn me away. No, you took me in and cared for me as though I were an angel from God, even Christ Jesus himself. So Paul didn't eat himself there. The church took care of him when he was sick, right there. Wow. Sorry, which book is that? Second. 
Galatians chapter 4, verses 13 to 14. I read NLT version. If I may also add, if I may also add, Brother Paul, First uh, Timothy chapter 5, verse 23. It yeah. says, drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thy often infirmities. So Timothy was often falling sick. And he wasn't, you know, miraculously, you know, he didn't have the power in himself to cure himself. Wow. Okay. Timothy, I don't know let's... what you guys are saying. You know, one of the geos said the disciples were never sick. All right. Let's continue for F class. <laughs> Legend Bible, you're not geo. Go ahead, Brad John. Okay. We could... He's not a, an apostle. What about Apostle Paul sending a word to him? Like Jesus Christ sent a word to the child, uh, is the servant of that um, the centurion? You know, uh, Jesus, uh, that centurion told Jesus Christ, just send one word and my servant will be made whole. Paul could have done the same thing. Instead of sending a letter, a recommendation, a prescription to what you should take, he just said that, just do this instead of sending a word. So what are we saying? We are not saying that God does not do miracle. What we are saying is that um, nobody is in control. Nobody has that remote in his own hand. And a miracle is no more traced to human. It's traced to God and God alone. People whom uh, the miracle is attached to, they were just witnesses. And because the canon of the scripture has not been closed, nobody knows what is and what is not. So God had to make sure that he had the power, other powers of deceiving our devils and make sure that only him alone, his miracle and his message alone will go up during the early church. All right. So now, um, which one is better? Because um, now we, we always quote this word, a greater works than this you shall do. Uh, something like that. I want to ask a question. Which one is greater work or a more difficult work? Because a work that is difficult, that looks so impossible to trace or impossible to, to solve is what we should call greater work, right? So which one is greater? Preach a message and um, a miracle will just happen. Bam! God will just back you up so, so that people will just believe. Or you will just go out and preach a message, there was no miracle. Which one should be greater one? To me, I believe the one that, that has no miracle and yet people believe and are saved is a more greater work. Because depending on physical sign, physical wonder, according to Jesus Christ, is what will lead to false uh, falsehood and heretism. Okay? So that is that about um, great, uh, greater work. Now, the so-called healing, healing minister, which are, uh, we have today, most of them are hypnotic. They are, and when you heal through hypnotism or through, proper, uh, uh, please remind me, Remind me the words. Yes. Placebo yes. or mind Placebo control. effect. Yeah. yeah, that's what I want to remember. Placebo effect. Um, healing through um, placebo effect or hypnotism, it happens. Even if you call the name of Jesus, it happens. But, of course, there is 
an end to that. The sickness always, most of the time, comes back in the same form or some other ways. That is how it happens. So most of this healing is something I've done before. It's something I've practiced before, where innocently, anyway, I didn't know. It's something I've practiced before with mind, using the mind, just imagine the sickness leaving the body of that person and you will just be acting like you are holding the sickness and you are throwing it away. All this uh, uh, drama and the things is something I've done before and it worked. But that something worked does not make it truth, does not so, uh, make it truth. Look at um, Pharaoh. Pharaoh also, his servant also turned rod to snake. The rod became snake, but does that make it true? No. Now, Satan also heals. We must know that Satan too heals people. Of course, if not so, the, the attackers of Jesus Christ wouldn't have known about Bezebu. They knew Bezebu could do some things related to this thing. Pharaoh's rod too. Huh? Satan will heal people. Even end time revealed that Satan will heal people and some, some will raise from the dead. Wow. Someone will raise from the dead by, by the power of Satan? Unbelievable. I thought it's only God that does that. So miracle in the spiritual realm, miracle is not a big deal. Okay? God heals and he heals at will. We can't be predicting for God. God will help us in Jesus' name. Oh, my time. Okay, let's quickly move into tongues. Tongues and interpretation of tongues. Tongue and the interpretation. All right. So, so what about... All right, John, can we stage miracle meetings and um, it heal people progressively? Uh, they start is gradually. They walk to the stage. You start acting by faith. Uh, it starts small, then you start running around, then eventually the miracle will be, uh, will be affected and backed up with music, with singing. Can we do that, like what we have in, in today's narrative? Do we have any backup? No. Scripture? No, no. We do not have that. And whoever has that should please raise that scripture so that we can look into it ourselves. We do not have that. Can I continue? Or oh, then I have faith to heal. Okay. I pray for you. I'm the faith healer. Then the miracle didn't happen. It's your fault. You don't have enough faith. That's why you're not healed. Well, that was never that was never a point raised in the Bible. Jesus Christ, when he was blaming um, his uh, people, when he was coming down from the mountain of that transfiguration, he was blaming his disciples that they could not heal. So if we should blame anybody for lack of faith, we should blame the healer not those who are being healed. We oh. should blame the pastor, not oh. the person that will receive the healing. Because the person who is receiving the healing is already facing enough, enough punishment already through his pain. So it is uh, an unfair thing to also put another blame, psychological pain again, to the person that we want to heal. We should help them, we should encourage them, we should comfort them, but we should never blame them for lack of faith because it is not them. Now, another thing about lack of faith. Is it possible for someone to be healed yet he did not have faith? Yes. The man who was lying down at that um, uh, water of Siloam, uh, is it Bethsaida or so? That yeah. water of Siloam. Yeah. He was not fight. expecting John 5, yes. Jesus was as, expecting him to expect the healing, but he didn't. He was saying that I, did not, I do not have someone to uh, take me to the river when the angels uh, steer up the water. 
And Jesus Christ told him that he should just carry his bed and begin to walk. He wasn't expecting that. And the next day or so, he did not even know that it was Jesus Christ, not to talk of believing in him. They asked him, who healed you? He could not remember. He didn't know that it was Jesus. So he was not expecting the healing. Okay, Lazarus was not expecting his resurrection. A dead man is dead. He wasn't expecting his resurrection. That uh, uh, the, the child of uh, Jairus or so, Jairus. that dead person was not Jairus, was not expecting uh, uh, himself or herself to raise from the dead. So we, if we should blame anybody for faithlessness, let's blame the healer, not the person who is to receive the healing. Because, in fact, all there's no faith as great as being born again. There is no faith as great as the faith of salvation. If I have the faith of salvation, and you now blame me for the faith of being healed, it's like um, a man who could climb 200 steps, and you are blaming him for not being able to climb one step. The faith for salvation, eternal life, is greater than all faiths. Okay, so it's unfair to blame um, the person receiving the healing. And everyone whom Jesus Christ healed in the New Testament, none of them were born again. None of them were born again because Jesus Christ has never resurrected. Jesus Christ told um, his disciples that the greatest in the kingdom and the least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. Why? Because John the Baptist have not seen the risen Jesus Christ, which they saw or which they believe. He had not seen that, and he didn't expect that. He has not believed that. So we could say that those people who were healed by Jesus were not born again. And so we can't blame anybody for faithlessness. Yeah, before we go to the beginning tongues, I think we'll take some questions, then we move on. Many people are buckling with questions. Uh, Sister Ken, are you still there? No, Sister Ijama, are you still there? All right, Bra Paul. Okay, sir. Um, thank you for your teaching, sir. Um, but uh, I would like to ask a question: Is it possible that um, you you could you? I, I know that there are sometimes that you could feel like the the healing anointing is upon you, and um, you felt like praying for someone at a particular time. And there's other time that to have the healing anointing, you the healing anointing you can't um, out there now. There's no faith building up in you for the healing anointing that um, you felt like you know you you, you know that um, there's someone sick, but you, you, the faith for the healing anointing is not work at that point in time in you. I felt like no, maybe tomorrow or maybe some other time because of maybe how you are out there now how the, the faith is at work at, in you at a particular time. Is it possible? Because there's a time you said that um, you, you, one cannot um, say that, okay, tomorrow um, um, I can't pray for you now. Let's just put it down that time. Um, is, 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 could that happen? I don't know. Maybe you get my question, sir. All right, John. Uh, please answer the question, sir. I will ask a question. Which one is better between breathing in and breathing out? Which one is better? Breathing out. Breathing out. Both, both. Both, both. Both, both, both. There are two things that characterize a believer. Bible study and prayer. We pray at all times. You don't need your feelings. 
to pray. All right? If a believer, uh, I was driving from work yesterday and somebody called me, she was sick on this journey, we pray. Because I don't have power. The power to heal is not in me. The power is in the God that answers prayers. So if you are led by your feelings, I know what you mean. I've been there before. When you, you know, you are just talking about the psychology of the moment, the horror, the, 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 the uh, there is no faith for healing class in the entire epistle. So we will come to a particular class and they'll be building your faith up. We'll be teaching you characteristics of faith, of healing, depth of healing, shade of healing, how to heal, then the healing will not build up. We don't have that. If the power to heal is in the God that answers prayers. And God does not go on vacation. He does not sleep nor slumber. So you pray. Every time you pray. So Paul John put it this way. When you feel like praying, say pray. Because you don't want to miss that good moment. And when you don't feel like praying, still pray. Because you don't want to remain in that position for too long. Brothers and sisters, there are times we don't want to pray. Because we are tired. It's not because of what you must do. And your tiredness does not stop the power of God. So uh, that concept of uh, the I felt once uh, is what we have developed in our generation. Go ahead. Uh, can, I, can I just, uh, number one, uh, that brother Paul confuses me a bit. What is anointing to heal? I don't really understand what is anointing to heal. And why Jesus Christ was anointed? Uh, Peter said that in Acts, he was anointed with Holy Ghost and power and was going about. Uh, was, those are two statements. It's just, not just one. Uh, Jesus Christ was anointed by the Holy Spirit, the, the persons of the Holy Spirit. But more importantly, if we read the book of uh, Luke 5 17, there's something about Jesus there. And uh, Luke, book, book Luke 5. 17. Somebody can read it for Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of God was present to heal them. It was not the power of Jesus, so it was the power of God was present to heal them. So it's only God who determines when to heal, yes, as, as believers, we can pray for healing. We can, you know, that's, I mean, that's what uh, James 5, that's what, and in fact, it was uh, the wish, the wish of John in John 3, verse uh, 2. I wish above, it's a wish you can pray. So, uh, the, uh, Mark has put it in the Sister Han, Sister Han, your hand has been hot for a while. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, following what Pastor Dede said, I think that mindset comes from uh, people thinking that uh, they are healing ministers, so they are afraid that at this point they don't feel like um, praying. So if they pray, it might not work. So they just. Uh, you know, state that maybe the anointing is not present for healing. But my uh, <laughs> my observation uh, came from uh, that Matthew twenty four, 
verse uh, 24 that we read earlier on. Um, okay, I read you for false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen one. 25 says, See, I have warned you about this ahead of time. So it seems to me that at this time, you know, the miracles that Jesus was doing could not be replicated, but he saw ahead that the time is coming when the uh, deceiver will, you know, replicate this and many more miracles. So he was warning them ahead of time. And I believe that this is the time. We are in that time when Christ warned that the time is coming when these miracles, great signs and the uh, wonders will be done to deceive. So it's, a, it's something to really have in mind and be weary of uh, miracle uh, workers and be very sensitive to this. That was my... I, I think even the apostles were not miracle workers because uh, the Philippians 2.27 that I John quoted today, uh, Epaphroditus, Paul prayed, prayed, prayed until he was almost dying. Then God in his mercy showed up. So even the, the apostles who had that uh, ability to uh, substantiate their call by miracles don't have that at will. You know, one of the problems we live, one of the problems of our time is that we live in a time when people claim to have uh, the ability to do miracles at will. And uh, if we are thinking believers, then we should, if I, you should know that if I claimed some years ago that I have the ability to do miracle at will, then you ask me that, Paul, why can't you go heal everybody of coronavirus? Because this is when <laughs> I do my ministry. This is when I should be the best, biggest apostle in town if I have that gift. So one person said the government that limited them, they should have gone to the camp. But uh, Jesus' miracle, most of the time, sometimes he did not go to the camp. He just sent his word and his word healed. You should have sent your word and healed. So our, 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 our people who claim to be able to do miracle at will could only, could only heal somebody who is not sick. Now, when the real sickness came, an opportunity for uh, uh, apostles of miracle at will to make global news, they all went on vacation. Started from America. They are posted that wave suits and jackets. He's on vacation. Back to Nigeria. Everybody's on vacation. In fact, the Nigeria, the apostle that can do medical at will is wearing face shield because he still doesn't want to die. See, God is doing these things for us to see that this word of God is true and the word of God stands. Even the yo-yo pastor, the one that is handsome, that can fling and, and the whole church will fall down. He went to the studio, studio church. See, this is when all of us need to think. No one can do miracle at will. Did God, for us to survive COVID, yeah, it's a miracle. So God is still alive. He's still doing miracle. But that there's one person who can will it. It is where. But John, please go ahead. Uh, we'll come back to two more questions. But I can't understand your match. Let's move on, please. All right. <clears throat> so please, if you right, I just wanted to share the scripture. It's not a question. Okay, go ahead, bro. Yeah, Revelation 13. The, the reason why this is important is the, the work of the Antichrist is going to involve the miraculous. Revelation 13, verse 12 and 13. And he exercised Let's see, maybe you are lying. Let us be there too. Revelation 13. Verse 12 and 13. Okay, sir. Go ahead. And he exercised all the power of the first beast before him, 
and caused the earth and them which dwelt therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. So there was a, a big wound that they thought was going to kill him, but miraculously it got healed. And as a result, verse 13 says, he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the sight of, in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, so that they will make, saying to them that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. So the, there's going to be, and, and that system is already in place, like that sister was saying, that miracles are going to become the de facto means of deceiving people and taking people away from the need to, to search for the truth. So if people can look at the, the, the you, you have pastors today that go and collect uh, fetish power to do miracles and there's no doctrine. So uh, what Brother John said earlier, that it is, if, if you want to even see miracles at all, let it come from those who are sound teachers of the word. Yeah. That's the way, that's where the, 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 uh, you have best comfort for the miraculous. Not just somebody who wakes up today. There's one who, so many of them flying all over the place. Somebody is eating grass, spraying uh, insecticide, uh, all sorts of funny, funny things, all to say, you know, that I have power. But that power, well, like you said, Brother Paul, we're not seeing it now. If they had that power, would have come out now and cured people. HIV would have gone, you know. Yeah, just I jumped them, but I can you make it fast? I see two hands. Let's clear the hands. Well, I wanted to point out. Um, I think the general consensus is that um, you know, signs signs are have been deceptive and misleading but i want to make sure we point out that god used signs even in the church to direct the believers and i posted one of those examples when the gentiles received the holy spirit that was a sign to the believers to accept the gentiles into the fold and how many times so was we that done? hold on hold on hold on when you call that a normative how many times was that done in the book of Acts? That particular it is not important how many times we cannot decide even today what God will do. God can walk in any way He okay. wants. Okay, okay, Thank that's you. my belief. Okay. Something um, I think it's important to note that He did that in the yes. church. Yeah, He did that in the church, and you are very correct. And that was it will get there in John for in Acts. Sorry, Jama, it was a sign to the unbelievers, not a sign. Nope. To it the was believers. a sign to the believers. That particular one was a sign to the believers. the question. Just relax. But John, we get there in First Corinthians 14, and he will explain the purpose of that sign. That's the next thing he wants to get to now on speaking in tongues. He will get there. Relax. You have a question. Let him answer. So, Baraola, don't worry. I won't answer your question. But John will answer. Baraola is the last question. Yes. Yeah, so, so just very quickly, uh, just a follow-up to Brockhaus and the scripture that he read. I think there's a very important word that we all need to be mindful of there, and that is the word deception. Deception. The miracles uh, or the so-called fake miracles that was done, the, the aim was to deceive. And that is exactly what seems to be happening. Um, believing in all of these types of uh, fake miracles or all of these um, manufactured miracles, the, the goal is to deceive people. And the only way by which we, can, uh, we won't fall for that deception is to actually know exactly what the scripture teaches. So doctrine is extremely crucial.
Thank you, sir. I agree. Yeah, and 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 typically. Rajon, go ahead. Sorry, we will still come to discussion time because of my time. Please, let's continue. The gift of tongues, tongues. Now, that's the Greek word for tongue is glossa. Uh, glossa just means language. So it is our translation that gives it that word, tongue. Okay, we know that this um, Bible was not originally written in English language. So glossa means tongue. It's just like saying every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. In their own language, they will confess that Jesus is Lord. Okay, so glossa means language and is the word that we have the word uh, glossary it's just a list of words in a particular language it's just like dictionary glossa is a language we know that so we could say that speaking in tongues we mean speaking in diverse of languages or speaking in tongue plural speaking in a language you did not learn that's an ability given by the holy spirit to speak a foreign language in the Greek word, it means xenoglosa. Xenoglosa. Xenoglosa means I can speak a foreign language without having to go there or to learn anything about them. I may not even know which particular country that speaks the language, but it is human language. That's xenoglosa. All right? So speaking in tongues is speaking in language. Now, another word or a, uh, another Greek word that I would like us to be familiar with is the word glossololia. Glossololia is speaking um, things as your mouth will just get to anything. And I, I will do a practical here. For example, that is glossololia. It is not xenoglossa. Xenoglossa is, it is traced, it is traceable to a country, while glossololia is not traceable to any country on earth. It's not traceable to any community on earth. Now, I said earlier, Jesus Christ speaking in um, uh, Mark chapter 16, that uh, they will speak with new tongues. That new tongues is traceable to uh, Acts chapter 2 experience and some other places which we will go to in a moment. So, but what's the purpose of this gift? It was to confirm the message that is being preached at, at that moment. There is always a message around any time there is, uh, there was speaking in tongues in the Bible, in the New Testament. In speaking, sorry, yes, I will be using the word, but I believe we know what it means. Speaking in tongues means speaking language. Okay, now it's confirmed the new era of the promise that God gave to the children of Israel. Now let's look for the promise in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 11 to 12. Isaiah 28, verse 11 to 12. He said, for with stammering lips and in other tongue, he will speak to his people. Now these people uh, that he's talking about is, if you read in context, is Jews which were in exile and um, he was saying that stammering lips is just like uh, I'm hearing a nonsense, something that does not make sense to my language. And the most probable language around that time, the country where they were enslaved to, they, are, they speak like someone who is stammering. It's just like the, the southern part of Africa that they use clicks, something like that, that kind of sound 
So there are a lot of um, languages on earth that might look funny. One of it is stammering lips. The people with the stammering white talking. It will sound like someone is stammering, okay? But to them, they are not stammering. They were actually speaking a language. Now, verse 12, he said, to whom he said, this is the rest with which you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, and yet they know not, uh, they will not hear. So what God was talking to them about is that I will preach to a message to them, or I've been saying some things repeatedly to the children of Israel, but they refuse to hear me. What I will do is that I will use a strange language, a language they are not familiar with, to still speak back to them so that they will know that this is God speaking. Ah, wow, God of all flesh, God who understands the language of the foreign land, comes to speak with us with a foreign language which could be interpreted and proved that it is really a language. And we could find the uh, fulfillment in Acts chapter 2 where they began to speak with tongues as Holy Spirit gave them a trance and people around could confirm that this is the language of at least 12 regions all over the world. All right? Okay, so now, Apostle Paul now referred to this place in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. This uh, Isaiah reference, Isaiah 28 reference in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 20 to 25. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 20 to 25. He said, Brethren, do not be children in understanding, however, in malice be babes, but in understanding be matured. Now, this is what Paul was talking about. They misuse and the use of the spiritual gift, just like they misuse a lot of things. The church was in mess. There was a division, carnality, sexual perversion, and a lot of things that they misuse and they abuse in this Corinthian church. One of it is the matter of speaking in tongues. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 14 from the beginning to the end, you will see this very, very detailed. So he was talking to them that they should not be babies. They should be matured. How should I be matured? He said, in the law it is written, meaning that you should know the source of these tongues that we are talking about. This tongue, the source, the use, why it is given by the Lord God. There is something God was trying to do. It is a confirmatory gift to confirm something that God had already spoken about in the book of Isaiah. All right? So, now, um, in verse 21, and I said, in the law it is written, with men of other tongues, that is stammering lips, don't forget, and other lips, I will speak to these people. And yet, for all that, they will not hear me. Referring to this same place, Isaiah 28, verse 11 to 12. All right? Says the Lord. Verse 22, he now said, Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. Uh, before, before I move ahead, I, I let's explain this. God was saying, and saying through Paul here, that tongue is a sign, not to those who believe. You remember, in Isaiah, he was saying that people will not believe. The Jews did not believe the message of Jesus Christ. They did not want to believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world or the expecting Messiah. He now said with tongues, with strange tongues, with an external language, a foreign tongues, he will speak to his people and they will not believe. Therefore, he was saying here that tongue is for unbelievers. For unbelievers to believe, one of the gifts that could be manifest at that time was speaking in tongues. He said, but to those who believe, it is prophecy. He said, prophecy is not for unbeliever. 
it is for those who believe. So prophesying, when you prophesy, you speak the language of the audience, right? But in speaking in tongues, you speak a strange language which needed an interpretation. Okay? Now, verse 23, he now says, Therefore, if the old church comes together in one place and all speak with tongue, and there come one who is uninformed or unbeliever. Now, this context of unbeliever is not referring to the Jews who did not believe now. It's referring to someone who is not saved and who comes to a church gathering. Okay? Will they not say that you are out of your mind? Will they not say that you are out of your mind? So, prophet or prophecy... Okay, verse 24 now. But if all prophesy, an, an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all. Please, someone is speaking in the background. Can you mute yourself, please? All right. I'm seeing yeah. okay. says that that uninformed or unbeliever person, when he comes in and he hears what is being said in prophecy, he is convinced by all. And by his conviction, he repents. Verse 25. And thus the secret of his heart is revealed, and so falling down on his face, this is not a a being knocked down by the power of God kind of thing. He's just repenting. So he, he, he came down like a sign of humility. He said he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. Right? So that is, that is the understanding we get from the context of this tongue. This tongue is to confirm uh, something to Israelites who did not believe. Now, a question should now come that, were Israelites present any time they were speaking in tongues in the whole New Testament? Yes. Were Israelites present in that scene any time they were speaking in tongues? Well, Acts chapter 2, we all know the story. And there were cross numbers of um, Israelites. And um, let's say 3,000 of them became born again because God confirmed the word through uh, uh, Peter. Okay? So, now, 120 people in the day of Pentecost, all of them spoke in tongues. What about the 3,000 that were added? No. Nothing about that. Okay? And there's something I see about Luke, brother Luke, whenever he's writing. He loves to be very, very detailed. So, maybe they spoke in tongues, but it was not written. No. No. They didn't speak. Maybe the letter spoke, but not at that moment, because the confirmation that that speaking in tongues wanted to do had already been done. They saw that it is true from the book of Joel and the preaching of Peter. We could go and read that part that, no, God is truly, truly speaking. And there were non-Jews around to confirm that this is our language. These people were not drunk. This is our language. They were not speaking Bibrish. They were not speaking Golosolelia. They were uh, speaking Xenoglosa, which means a language of another place. All right? That is that about um, uh, Acts chapter 2. Now, some teachers, some modern-day teachers will say that um, they were speaking, what we are speaking today is Sharabada, Gadabada, Gaba, but it was God who opened the ears of those foreigners to understand what the 120s were saying. That is not true. 
Because God did not give the gift of interpretation. He gave the gift of tongues, which was confirmed by external people. And how do I know that? Isaiah 28, with a strange man's language, I will speak to my people. So it came to pass that day. So it was not that God opened the ears of strange man to understand uh, and glossolalia. No. What happened is that it's like I travel, I want to go and witness the day of Pentecost because it's a celebration in Israel. I want to go and witness that um, celebration in Jerusalem. So I traveled down to Jerusalem and some people began to speak my language. My language here is Yoruba language. Uh, that's my native language. Now I begin to hear Yoruba language and the Jew people, unbelieving Jews there, were saying, ah, these people are drunk. And I said, no, they were not drunk. Oh, this is my mother tongue. This is the language of my town. So it will give attention. It will help the unbelieving Jews to pay attention. That, ah, Let's pay attention to what these people have to say. Because this is so strange. It's not common. Then Peter began to speak and made reference to what these unbelieving Jews respect, the Bible, the book of Joel. And he explained that and traced that back to Jesus. And they all became born again. And they were added 3,000 people. So this is very simple and very logical. Now, uh, Acts chapter 10, the story in Acts chapter 10, verse 44. Acts chapter 10, verse 44 to to 46. Cornelius, in Cornelius' house, the Jews were also present. The Jews were very much present in Acts. Please, anybody who sees that should help me read. Acts 10, 44 to 46. was still speaking these words. The Holy Spirit fell upon those who had the word, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. And as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they had them speak with the tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit, just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. So the people, Amen. that's verse 45, and, and those of circumcision who were astonished as many as came with Peter. So that circumcision is Jewish uh, cultural identity. It means that they were Jews. Yeah. yeah, that's the confirmation. And what Peter also said there is that the same way we receive the Holy Spirit is the same way these people received him. Meaning that what happened to us exactly was what happened to these people. The, we spoke Xenoglossa, the language of another place. These people are saying the same thing. Okay, so we could confirm there that what happened in Acts 2 happened in Acts 10, and both Jews and Gentiles were present in both situations. Now, in Acts 19, there is also a case of that. They spoke in tongues and they prophesied, the Ephesian believers, but there were Jews also in that scene. And um, we could say that the presence of Israelites or unbelieving Israelites confirmed the purpose of the tongues in the early church. Now, after that experience, there was no other place. There was no other place where people spoke in tongues. Now, that takes us to, what about um, the book of Corinthians? Uh, the, the Corinthian people, they were not uh, Jews. Number one, you could not be sure if there were Jews present. That's one. Another thing about it is that if you trace through history, 
Corinthians people were used to this kind of thing before they became born again. In 11 BC, there was an history about Phoenicians who were speaking uh, glossolalia, just uttering anything that comes to their mouth. In 429 to 347 BC, there was a dialogue, it's called Dialogue of Plateau. There were a references of speaking um, gibberish, just saying anything that your mouth can say. In 7 to 19 BC, in island of Dallas, there was a reference of speaking in tongues and in Persians, which gave birth to, later gave birth to what the Islam later uh, embedded themselves into in the early, early time, the early Islam, they were speaking in tongues. Monks too, the monks, the Greek monks, they were used to this system. So Peter and um, Paul was referring to um, Isaiah 28, that if this purpose is not meant, then you are just acting like babies. You know when babies are trying to talk, bah, 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 you are acting like babies. That's why he said that they should not be babies in understanding. Okay? He said they should not be children. Um, that's um, 1 Corinthians 14 verse 25 and verse 20 to 25. He said, brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice, be babes, but in understanding be matured. The understanding there is that uh, the purpose of tongues has to be confirmed. But, but, or I, has to be but I don't. You know, one of the yes, arguments, sir. because uh, you know we do this a lot. So one of the arguments that comes to people's mind is that uh, you are quoting history, not Bible. So how do you use history to substantiate the current? It's not written. But let's also look at First Corinthians twelve. One and two in NLT. Don't let me be the one that will read it. Maybe you should read it, Brother John. NLT, First Corinthians 12, 1 and 2. So you will understand what current is their background. That ecstatic, ecstatic speech is not it's not strange to current. Who can read it? First Corinthians 12, 1 and 2. Okay. Now concerning spiritual gift, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. No, 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 no. That's... NLT. Are you using NLT? No, that's NKJV. Let me read. You have NLT. Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities the Spirit gives us. So, I don't so it has been going on in current. This, what is correct, what is not correct, what is true, what is true, what is not true. They have been asking Paul. So apparently what Paul wrote was a correction. Is that what we call doctrine today? Where it was a correction to them. So go ahead, Barakar. I don't hmm. want you to misunderstand this. You know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along in worshipping speechless idols. So, right. uh, one and two. So, Rajon, okay. make a commentary on that and uh, move on to substantiate the background of current that you gave that is not uh, out of out of place. Okay. Now, in the current, the is um, the Greek uh, place, the Greek people. Actually, there is a god of language. They have a god of language. And that god of language is called Hermes. Is the god of speech and um, and the likes. The god of speech, the god of knowledge. Hermes is there in history. You could trace that. And that was what Paul was referring to, dumb idols. So they believe that their god is dumb. So through Hermes, they could communicate with that god. They could speak to that god. So whenever they are speaking in their gibberish, they communicate with Hermes. The armies will help them communicate that to that dumb idols, the idol that cannot hear. They know that the image they have before them that they bow down to does not have ears to hear. 
So they needed to speak to a spiritual Hermes who will speak in turn to a dumb idol. That was Paul, uh, what Paul was referring to in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. And that's why he said that he that speak in this tongue, eh, speak to God, not to man. But he was saying in that 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, chapter 14, that we should rather make sure that we can interpret so that we can speak to man. So the focus, this, okay, which spiritual gift do we have that focus on God? Healing. Do you want to heal God? Miracle. Do you want to do a miracle on God? Uh, 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 word of wisdom. Do you want to be wiser than God? Do you want to dictate God without his, con his, his consent? There's no spiritual gift that focus solely on God. It's to edify one another. So, we have help, sir. We can help God. <laughs> <laughs> leadership too. All right. we want to lead god we, we we will still go more into that but let me quickly speak about one of the argument that people raise that's tongue of men and god of uh, tongue of angels tongue of men and tongues of angels now hey, let's question. talk about first about tongue but of can men can you say something you are low okay i was saying i have, I have a question okay before he goes to tongue of men and tongue of angels Okay. Verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 14. Because um, this thing you are saying is going to upset a lot of... If you read 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2, it says, He that speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not unto men, but unto God. Okay. For no man understands him. Now, that, okay. that statement alone suggests uh, that the that glossolalia that you have spoken may not actually be it may be a mischaracterization to all right to the, the glossolalia that happens in pagan religion with um with yes what sir. Happens here. i will still speak about that first corinthians chapter uh, 14 verse 2 i'm still coming okay. back there secondly, and i will explain yeah, myself secondly, second the second right. question related to that is we know that speaking in tongues is prayer now, speaking, looking at the heart of it, the, meat, the main essence of speaking in tongues, it is prayer, and it is, that prayer is to God. Why do I need to be worried about somebody who thinks? Now, Paul says, when they come, will they not say you are mad? So Paul is saying this will be their impression. Why do I need to be worried about that? If I'm praying to God, it is between me and God. So why is that such an issue? That's my second question. All right. I will answer that question. Don't worry, sir. I'm still going there. Very, very, all the questions, I'm still going there. I already prepared for this because this is not my first time people will have this issue with me and then I've made my research. Okay. Now, Paul wanted us to be worried. That's why he wrote 1 Corinthians. He wanted us to be worried. He wanted us to be bothered. That was why he wrote it. That we should put these people in consideration. All right? Okay, let's, let's go into tongue of men and angels. I will still come back to that. Don't worry, sir. We will still read it and we'll, we'll clarify everything that sounds to be confusing. All right? So now, tongue of men. That, we have future of tongue of men since we are all men. We are we, uh, human beings. So we have characteristics, common characteristics that join all languages. All languages as complete feedback. What do I mean? The person speaking hears his own communication. He understands himself. 
there is a semantic reasoning. I was thinking about something before I speak. When I open my mouth to speak, the same thing I was thinking about is probably what you are receiving at your hand over there. Okay? So that's the feature of all human language, right? So we could say that this tongue that we have today is not tongue of man. Another thing is that tradition. The convention of a language is passed down from teaching to teaching, even if God is the one that uh, initiated it. Why do I say that? Let's go to um, Genesis. Genesis 11, verse 1. Genesis 11, verse 1. We knew there that the whole world had one language and one speech. In Genesis 11, all of the world had one language and one speech. In verse 7 to verse 9, he said, God speaking now, he said, uh, come, let us go down there and confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the earth and they ceased building the city. Therefore, the name of the place is called Babel because there the Lord confused the language, language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the earth. So, meaning that the same God who did the work in Acts chapter 2 is doing the work here in Genesis 11. When God scattered the human language, let's take for instance, let's say, let's assume that that, that was the birth of English language. That was the birth of Yoruba language or Aousa language or whichever language that you know of today. Okay? But that language, God did not continue to scatter that language till today. Okay? What I need to do is to be born into the family that speak that language, or I should consciously go and learn the language. So all human language is learn learnable, even if the language was built by the power of God in Genesis 11. So the power of God is the one that diversifies human language, but today we acquire and learn those language. All right? So what can we say about that? Languages of men were invented by God. I believe we agree with that. Now, another thing about tongue of man or human language is that all languages of men have basic structure. There is a structural rule. There's something, if I speak English language, as I'm speaking now, a, an Englishman would know that I'm not a native speaker of English language. Why? Because there is intonation rule, there is grammatical rule that I'm probably uh, disobeying, there are uh, uh, pronunciation rules that I'm probably uh, disobeying. Not probably, I'm disobeying them. Okay? So we could say that human languages, each language has rules. There is what to say, when to say, and how to say it. All right? That's that about human language. So with all this that I've said, we can assert that the modern day speaking in tongues is not xenoglossa. It's not a language that, uh, of another place that I'm speaking here. So we could either classify it to glossolalia or gibberish. Now, it is called gibberish as, uh, in the modern world, but I would not like to use that word because it may sound uh, abusive. So a good word we could use is xenoglossa and glossolalia, I mean. Now let's move to another one. If it is not language of it should be language of angel or tongue of angel, as 1 Corinthians 13 puts it. So let's go there. Uh, number one thing about tongue of angel is angel never spoke glossolalia in the Bible. Angels never spoke, and we will need someone to come and interpret the language of an angel. Throughout the Bible, 4,000 years of human history in the, that the Bible recorded, angel never spoke, and we need someone to come and 
uh, interpret it. So what happened? Angels spoke the language that God himself invented in Genesis 11, the language of that person himself. Okay? Now, um, tongue of, tongue of uh, angel, that's that exact word. Let's look for it. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. Um, please, I would like to read from here so that where I need to stop and we'll think about that. Said, though I speak with tongue of men, can Paul speak with the tongue of men? Yes. And of angels, can he speak with the tongue of angel? We are not sure. Question mark. Don't worry, we'll still come back to that. But have not love. Does Paul not have love? Of course he does have love. So what would we say about it? That means he's speaking a conditional statement. It's like saying that, See, Oga, you cannot impress God even if you kill every of his children on earth. You cannot surprise God even if you kill everybody on earth. But does that make it a rule that I must go and kill everybody on earth? No, it's a conditional statement. Even if I can eat a mountain of rice, does that mean I can do that? No, it's a conditional statement or we should say it's an hyperbole. Okay, this is a common speech amongst us and there are literary devices that are embedded in the whole Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, there are figures of speech. We see the kingdom is like unto something. That's simile. Okay? A snake is more subtle than all other animals in Genesis 3. That's metaphor. So there are figures of speech in the whole Bible. So we could say that this is a conditional statement. It doesn't make it a rule that Paul could speak tongue of angel. We know he could speak in tongues. Yes. And we believe that it's, an, it's a similar experience that is similar to uh, Acts chapter 2 and uh, Acts chapter 10. Okay, let's continue. He said, though I have the gift of prophecy, yes, we know that probably he has it, and understand all mystery and all, all knowledge. Who did, do Paul have all mystery and all knowledge? No. Only Holy Spirit, only God has all mystery and all knowledge. And though I have all faith, who has all faith on it? I don't think there's anybody has it. Because faith is a gift. There's a measure of gift that God gives to everyone. Romans chapter 12 give, uh, clarifies that. He said everyone should work according to the measure of faith. So there's a measure. It's not full. We can't have all here because we are still in our flesh and we are in our blood. Okay? So I'm reading now. That so that I could remove mountains how many mountains did Paul remove? Physical mountains. We do not hear of anyone. He is speaking an hyperbole. If I can do this thing and I don't have love, I am nothing. That was what he was saying here. We can't make it a rule that there is tongue of angel. Now let's think that there is a tongue of angel. Okay? Let's believe that there is a tongue of angel. Because, of course, angels will communicate, right? So there's a tongue of angel. Let's go on. Now, a possible place where we could find tongue of angel is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 to 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 to 4. We are looking for tongue of angel. Where possibly angels could communicate and Paul will understand their language. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 to 4. He said, it is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to vision and Revelation of the Lord. I know a man, he just, he's just a his lesson. He, he said he do not want to boast. So he quickly pushed that from first person singular to third person singular. He removed himself from the scene, putting 
himself in a vague position so that he will not boast of his revelation, what he saw. He said, I know a man in Christ 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows. Such a one was caught up in the third heavens. The person went to heaven, okay? Verse 3. And I know such a man, whether in body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. How he was caught up into paradise and had inexpressible word, which is not lawful for a man to utter. So how does he know that man? Or how does he know about that man if that man came to the earth back and could not say what he saw there? It means that it was Paul who was putting himself in a vague position. He was the one who went to the third heaven, but everything that he had there, it was not lawful for any man to utter, to just utter and talk about it. So if he had the tongue of angel, he did not come here to speak it. All right. So we could also conclude that this is not the tongue of angel. Now, I could say from this that the biblical speaking in tongues were languages of another community on earth. Okay? Tongues was never taught as a teaching. Like, let's sit down and talk about speaking in tongues. Anywhere in New Testament teaching, except where Paul was correcting the excesses of these people, the excesses of uh, the first Corinthians or the Corinthian churches. It was their excesses that Paul was correcting. So when you are making a correction, you better look at it very well. This is not a stage, this is not a stage uh, teaching, it's a correction. Okay, let's continue. So even though there was Xenoglossa, there was a real speaking in tongues at this time. Yes, we do not disagree with that. I'm not saying that there is no tongue. What we are saying is that it was a tongue of people somewhere else, which was strange to the speaker or to the people around him. That's why there was a need for interpretation. Another thing, tongue took a break in the church history at 70 AD. Why? The tongues that we know of took break, it stopped at 70 AD. Why? Because Jerusalem was destroyed actually in 70 AD. And since in Isaiah 28 that we read earlier, that God said that he will speak to his own people with strange tongue, that is with another language that they do not speak. And these people did not hear him. They did not, generally speaking, they did not receive Jesus. And the judgment came upon them just like it used to come upon them in the Old Testament whenever they offended God. So the confirmation stopped. Tongue stopped with them in 70 AD. And there was no mention of it, except if they were reading the Bible now. There was no mention of it in church history from 70 AD to 1900 AD. 1,120 um, years ago was when we begin to hear of it that people are manifesting about it today in Azusa Street. I don't know if we are familiar with this word, Azusa Street Revival in uh, Azusa and Kansas City. Now, the first person to speak in tongues in 1900 is Agnes Osma. Agnes Osma is a, was a lady and was the first person to speak in tongues in 1900, the tongues that we know of today. Agnes Osman was the first person to speak it. Okay? Now, Charles Palm, when he was giving his testimony, he said that this lady began to speak in tongues under 
my own ministration, that is under his own ministration, that he was ministering about Acts chapter 2, uh, and she began to speak in tongues. Agnes Osman said, no, I began to speak in tongues in 1899, not 1900 February. So who was telling the truth? Who was lying? And Charles Parham is the father of this thing we are talking about. Okay? Now, not we shouldn't pay attention to that. There could be a mistake, right? And uh, maybe she did not remember the day she began to speak in tongues, or this man did not remember that it was not actually under his administration. There's no problem about that. The major thing, the bone of contention was that Charles Parham sent everyone who could speak in tongues when he discovered that these people were actually speaking Chinese tongues. They sent them to China to go and preach the gospel in tongues. Just like God will speak with his people in a strange tongue, so he sent external people to go and preach to the Chinese people in tongues. Now, if a Chinaman who knows that you don't understand his language begin to say, uh, begin to hear you speak his own language, he will be surprised. He will give attention to your word, right? But uh, unfortunately, the Chinese people said that you are speaking nonsense. This does not look like our language. And even the former interpreter that they, they sacked said that you people are saying nonsense. Okay? So this is what we depend upon today. And um, the person who wrote this story, uh, Robert Leardin, the same person who wrote uh, uh, Ghost General that talked about uh, miracles and science and healing, this same person, well, is not a man who can be trusted. I'm sorry to say this, but let's look into um, Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Um, verses 18, 19, 20. 18. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. He said, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now, what is this unrighteousness majorly? If you read and trace in history, what are not even history context, I mean. God was referring to the people who love Sodomy, what we refer to as Sodomy today. Okay, verse 24. He said, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Okay? Just hold your phone and search through Google, search history, search the testimony of this man himself. He is claiming to be a gay today. Okay? So I can't trust his book. I can't trust his history. Okay? So uh, when we are, that's why I said that when we are reading, uh, we should not mention the, the book God's General as a confirmation of gift. Just look at yourself. Can I do a, a healing at will? Who do I know around me that can do healing at will? No one. God heals people and he heals anytime he likes. Amen. Amen. So now with the app of with the apps app of unconscious hypnotism. What do I mean by unconscious hypnotism? If you are doing hypnotism and you do not know, you do not understand what it entails, the details of it, what they are doing in hypnotism, how they do it. If you don't know, unconscious hypnotism. You can use it to do strange things. Expect any strange manifestation like deeper knowledge without reading, without going through research. Um, I heard a man who said that you can, you can know the content of a book without reading it by laying your hand on it and speaking in tongues. 
okay, falling down, all the strange falling down that we could not uh, find the confirmation in the scriptures, hypnotic healing or psychic healing, all those things you could find them um, um, associating with these fissures, which we call the strange tongues. Okay, now, uh, another thing that people talk about is confusing the devil with the tongue. Okay, I'm still going to speak in, uh, edify himself, speaking to God, but please just go along with me. So confusing the, the, the devil with strange tongues or with speaking. <laughs> Let me see what this is about, man. Your network is gone. Satan knows him. <laughs> Satan is not here. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> As a big bubble, you want to bust right there. <laughs> so your network, I think, sometimes uh, control MTN, but is it right? Is it right? <laughs> so everything I want to say to God. All right, can you say that again? Confusing this, uh, confusing the devil with strange tongue. I want to say it in tongues so that okay. Now you have to remember the source of Satan. Satan came from. Oh. Hold on. Okay, I was told to... Please, slow, slow down, Brother John. Slow down. <laughs> Before, do you understand to this stage? Uh, tongue of Satan. Tongue of... Uh, confusing, the, confusing, the, confusing the devil. Let's start from there. Okay. All right. Confusing the devil. I want to confuse devil, so let me speak in tongues. Well, devil came from heaven. He was sent down from heaven, right? So if devil came down from heaven and his language was not taken away from him, then the last language you should use to confuse the devil is heavenly language. Okay? It's heavenly language. Why? He was an angel. So you want to speak tongue of angel to confuse devil. Who was an angel? Well, I think that one is dangerous. It is, so it's out of it. Now, another one is he that speak in tongues uh, edify himself. I would like to read that please. That's a verse 4 to verse 6. Of First Corinthians, First Corinthians chapter fourteen, verse four. Okay, it says, "He who speaks in tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edify the church." Right? There's no problem. So I want to edify myself with speaking in tongues. Okay, uh, I wish you all speak with tongues. Is a wish, just like I wish you all remain single. He said it, the same man said it. But I am not single actually, I'm married and I have one child, okay? So I did not obey that. So I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesy, for he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. Now, don't forget the purpose of spiritual gift in um, verse 7 of the same first corinthians chapter 12 first corinthians chapter 12 verse 7 it talks about um profiting with that it's to the benefit of the church the purpose of every spiritual gift is to benefit the church is to edify the church is to bring about comfort edification and exhortation so if i want to use the same spiritual gift that is meant for all i want to, and don't forget why is it meant for all Acts chapter 2 it ministered to the Jews, even if they didn't understand the language. But it reminded them of um, Isaiah 28. Okay, it still benefited them, even if they didn't understand. Now, I am speaking in tongues today to benefit only myself and excluding every other person. 
Okay? Now, he now says he edifies himself. That word edify, what does that mean? To edify myself. Edify means to build. That is, um, sorry, let me just spare you of the Greek word. It's actually strong and difficult to pronounce. So first Corinthians, first Corinthians chapter 8, verse 10. That same word is used. First Corinthians chapter 8, verse 10. First Corinthians 8, verse 10. He said, But food does not commend us to God. For neither if we eat, are we better? No. If we do not eat, are we worse? The next verse. But beware. Oh, sorry. Verse 10. Sorry. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? That word emboldened is the same Greek word. So edify here is negative. So meaning that we could have a positive edification and negative edification. Now the question is, if I edify myself with tongue, is it a positive edification or negative edification? Well, if I'm selfish, it is negative. What I eat and everybody cannot benefit from it is selfish. So if it is selfish, it is negative edification. The same way with food here. This man eating the food offered to idol, he said he will confuse those who are just growing. There's nothing wrong in it, but those who are just growing, who do not understand, they will be negatively built. So if I edify myself selfishly, I am negatively building whatsoever I think I'm building because it's selfish. And if you look at it, the context very well, he's advising you to make sure you interpret it or you should keep short. So why should I say that? Because it is edification. But there is negative edification. The same book says it, that there is a negative edification. All right? Now, if I'm selfish, I'm saying it again. If I'm selfish, it is a negative edification. All right? Now, so that one is cleared. Uh, he edify himself. Forget about it. Now, uh, another thing they used to point to is latter rain. Latter rain. People spoke in tongues in Acts chapter 2. That's first rain, early rain. Then people speak in tongues in 1900 to 2020. That's the latter rain. People do point to that. Well, let's look for where latter rain is mentioned. Actually, the place it is mentioned, that's Joel chapter 2. It is referring to nothing but agricultural problem of that time. Rain did not fall for a long time. So God was saying that he will give them rain the first rain and the last rain, it will join them together like they will enjoy rain to the abundance. He was talking about agricultural issue there. Nothing about the rain of Holy Spirit as they used to say. Holy Spirit is not many, it's just one. Who divide himself when he comes here and is in every believer. All right? Okay, someone is writing it there. Joel 2.23. It's referring to agricultural problem. Just go and read it. You will see it there. So nothing about Latari revival. So now another thing that they point to is that he that speaks in tongues speaks to no man. So let's go there. Um, First Corinthians chapter fourteen, chapter fourteen. Yes, First Corinthians chapter fourteen, verse uh, one and two. He said, "Pursue love." So that's the instruction. And desire spiritual gifts, of course, desire it. But 
he put a button on it, especially that you may prophesy something that will benefit everybody. Everybody will understand your prophecy. Okay? And maybe we may, in case we do not know, this prophecy is not talking about any kind of prophecy, which I will get to in a moment. Let's continue. Verse 2. Now said, For he who speaks in tongues does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mystery. Good. Now, and we love mystery these days, when something is so deep to understand. It's just that the uh, unfortunate thing is that God is doing the opposite. Spiritual thing, God made it flesh. The word became flesh. The unseen thing, God bring it to physical. The unseen God came to physical as Jesus, and the mind of God, which is very deep, came down as what we hold in our hand, the Bible. So God is doing the opposite of what we are looking for. We want to speak mystery, something people will not understand. You are not confusing the devil. Maybe you are confusing fellow believers when you do this thing. They need to be edified. Even if you are praying a public prayer, if it is a private prayer, okay, but a public prayer, please help those around you. Maybe someone wants to learn how to pray when he hears you. Jesus Christ was praying in John chapter 17, and he said everything so clear that John could record it. Let's assume that uh, uh, Jesus was speaking in an unknown tongue. Would John have been able to record that? We know the answer already. All right, so he speaks to God. God. Now, can we ever find cases of maybe Old Testament or New Testament where they use the same name that we have for Almighty God for any God of this earth. Well, Second, second um, Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 helps us with that. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Please, whoever sees that should help me. Satan, the God of this world, has been in the mind of those who don't understand this glorious gospel. Let me see if I'm correct. Okay. Whose mind the God of this age or God of this world has blinded who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on, on them. That God, we will see in your translation, is small letter, God of this world. Well, some people believe that um, that God of this world is a mistake, that it should be almighty God, because God could also... Uh, puts a veil in the mind of those who do not want to believe him. Okay, there's no problem. Okay, what about Acts chapter 2, verse 6? Uh, Acts chapter 28, I mean. Acts 28, verse 6. Acts 28, verse 6. He said, however, they were expecting the well swell up. That was when um, um, Paul carried a snake by mistake when he was arranging firewood. And they expected him to die. He said, but after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come on him, they changed their minds and they said that he was God. So anybody who could do extraordinary thing, they point to him as God. Um, this king in Daniel said the, the, the fourth person is like the son of God, where you do not know Almighty God, but there were gods around them that they could point to, and they used the same name the same spelling, the same word for God. It's only God who said, I, okay, I am Adonai, I, I am that I am, ego in me, or whatsoever. But God, that word teos, it depends on which theology you support. If you, are a, if you are a Muslim, you believe that God is Allah. 
if you are a Christian, you believe that God is the creator of heaven and earth, and there is a trinity in this God, something like that. So now, how do we know if this group of people are referring, um, if Paul is referring to Almighty God or the God that they used to serve, that dumb idols? How do we know which one is talking about? Well, we could see it in this way. Number one, true logic. I want to pray to God. So I will pray in a language I don't understand what I am saying. To a God who understands English and my mother's tongue, for what purpose? Okay, I know we will refer to um, um, Romans chapter 8, for we do not know how we should pray as we ought to, but the Spirit prays with um, uh, uh, Z that cannot be... Oh, it is Holy Spirit that pray now, not me. He said the Spirit prays with groaning. Okay, he is interceding for me, just like Jesus Christ is interceding for us in heaven. But am I the one interceding for myself in heaven? No, it was Jesus, or it is Jesus. Okay, so Holy Spirit is the one praying with groanings that cannot be uttered. He said it cannot be uttered. So what you are uttering as tongue is not, cannot be uttered. I don't know if we get what I'm trying to say. The place said it cannot be uttered, but you are uttering something now. But it says it cannot be uttered. So what Holy Spirit is saying to God cannot come out of my mouth. It cannot be uttered. Read that place very well. It cannot be uttered. That's what the place said. So what can we say about this? I'm praying to a God who understands my native language. So I'm praying to him in a language I do not understand, saying what I don't even know to a God who understands my language. How does this sound? Now, these people, well, there are cases of those who could speak real tongue here. So if Paul is saying that they should not forbid speaking in tongues, he's right. But if we look into 1 Corinthians 14 very, very well, we will know that we have outrightly disobeyed what Paul was saying to the Corinthians. Want to say it in public, it should be one after the other, two or three people. One person must be interpreting. Two or three prophets will be speaking and others will judge. Are we having the process today? No. So it is easy for us to disobey God when we are out of the line in the first place. If we are speaking the real tongues, then we will be doing the right thing. All right? So now, I, I, another way of putting this is history. Now, Hermes, H-E-R-M-E-S, H-E-R-M-E-S, is the Greek god of language, of thought, of instruction, and of eloquence. You will remember that Paul always emphasized the fact that he's not speaking with excellency of human speech. He's not speaking with eloquence. What he was trying to do is to differentiate himself from this eloquence nature of these Greek people. Greek people, they are impressed with eloquence. That's why he said that the Greek are looking for wisdom. They are experts. And they believe that Emmys, a god of uh, eloquence, is the one that is impacting them with that ability. You also, they also believe that he impacts them with um, language that nobody can speak here on earth. And that is gibberish or glossolalia. So Corinth, now, how do I know this? Corinth is located in the South Central Greece. I don't want to bore us with history, but we could search this ourselves. It is very, very clear. All right? Now, what about the Corinthians? Why would Paul write this thing to them? Number one, they are abusers. The Corinthians abuses anything they find, anything. 
division in the church, we find it with Corinthians. Canality, they are babes. Sexual perversion, uh, uh, one person in, I think, chapter five, who was having um, sex with his father's wife. Um, lost uh, between Christians, sir? Lost supper, lost supper, chapter 11. Uh, lost supper, uh, uh, moral abuses of believers' body, relationship, ignorance of purpose of virginity, uh, violation of Christian uh, uh, liberty, a lot of abuses, denial of the resurrection of body. They don't believe in resurrection of body. And Paul was emphasizing these major, major things because it's actually in the world of abusers. So we can't look into them for a standard. Okay, what we can look for is the correction that Paul was trying to give to them. Okay, and um, second to the last scripture that I would like to read, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8. I'm very, very sorry for taking our time. Oh, you have the time. Go ahead, bro. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8. He said, love never fails. Love never fails. So when the Bible says love never fails, then we have to compare it with what fails. He now puts the next statement, but, wow. So that means anything that comes after it is something that can fail. It doesn't mean it is bad, but it can fail. So we shouldn't rely on it. We shouldn't trust it. Love never fails, but whether there be a prophecy, they will fail. Now that prophecy is, Prophetai or prophetia, that's the word. Prophecy has different uh, Greek words, but what this man is specifically using is prophetia. Okay? He said, this prophecy will fail eventually. Whether there be tongue, they will fail? No, they will cease. That cease means power in Greek. It means come to an end. And in the active word, it means someone will bring it to an end. And in the passive form, it means he, it itself will come to a, an end. Okay? So now, whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Okay? Uh, but when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part will be done away. Okay, verse 9 said, For we know in part and we prophesy in part. Wow. But you are mentioning three things in verse 8. When you get to verse 9, you are mentioning two. Why Paul? He's already acting as if that tongue is about to cease itself. Let's look at it again. In verse 8, he said, love never fail. Prophecy will fail. Tongue will cease. Knowledge will vanish away. That word vanish away and failure of prophecy is the same Greek word. It's the same word. And it means that it will be superseded later it will be superseded but when it comes to tongue he said it will cease he changes the word now to now act as if it will soon cease he now he didn't mention it again in verse 9 verse 10 verse 11 verse 12 verse 13 he didn't mention it again he just focused on that prophecy and that knowledge and he left uh tongue out of it because he used another word power it will come to an end okay now what is it about this prophecy, First uh, Corinthians chapter fourteen, verse three. What he's talking about as prophecy, he said, "But he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men." This one is not talking about 
foreseeing the future. I know your account balance. I know your phone number without calling it to me or being able to know what will happen tomorrow. This is not talking about that kind of prophecy. This kind of prophecy that uh, uh, can predict a future, he said it will fail later. But the one that edifies the church, that build the body, is talking. <laughs> Someone is saying, God punish the devil. <laughs> the one that speaks about uh, edifying, uh, education, comfort, and um, 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 yes, education, comfort, and exhortation. He said he speaks it when you speak it. And that is referring to correctly using the scriptures the way it is. When you are declaring the word of God for what it is, declaring it and giving it in context, you are prophesying. All right? So that one is different from this prophecy that it says that we fail. Okay? Now, when Jerusalem was destroyed, I said it, God began to elect the Jews. Not that he, he, he abandoned them, like that kind of thing, but this gift stopped and God began to focus on the Gentiles. And we never hear of this throughout. Now, no one spoke in tongues or pretended to speak in tongues throughout the church history. But we will find examples of Montanists. These Montanists were the heretic people, and the person, their leader said that only him carried the Holy Spirit. So he's not worthy to be paid attention to. Said only him uh, carried the Holy Spirit, and he said a lot of heretic Things. In fact, the church did not even recognize him. Okay, the Catholic, the early Catholics, the celibates, they were speaking in tongues too, but they were communists and they said that the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ had already been fulfilled. So we can't trust them. So apart from these people, there was no record of speaking in tongues throughout church history from 70 AD when Jerusalem is destroyed till 1900. Okay, now what most of this so-called tongue does uh, is what I, I will uh, talk about and I will close for today. Now, um, if you remember the book of um, um, Revelation, talking about the false unity that uh, people will come together and the, the church, the so-called church will be united, but it's against the Lord God. I, I, I want us to pay attention and be very, very careful to this, that there are some characteristics that is joining all religions together. Not only Christianity do we have speaking in tongues. There are also speaking in tongues in most other religions. Check the Buddhist, check the Montanist, check the Islams, check the uh, all religions. Mormon and the likes, all of them, they are not trying to do one thing or the other that combines them together. So we are now having a kind of false unity, something that's already prophesied in the book of Revelation. I don't want to be part of this. Now, there's also false faith. Now, why do I say false faith? When people are looking for physical experiences, like this miracle, when they are looking for um, this tongue and what so-called extraordinary uh, manifestation, it is like these people are full of doubt. They are looking for proofs that will comfort them. They can't rely only on the scriptures. They can't rely only on the consistent teaching of the scriptures. It's a doubt that is looking for proof. So this is false faith. This is false spirituality. God Almighty is not involved. Okay? So 
tongue, another thing is that tongue is not only unique to Christians. Tongue is not only unique to Christians. All right? I've, I've mentioned the Phoenicians. I've mentioned the, the Plato dialogue, the island of Dallas. I've mentioned, okay, there's another one, Greco-Roman cults. Even in the time when First Corinthians was written, these people existed, and they were doing this same thing around the Christian Corinth. They were doing this same thing. There was rowdiness, and that's why there was, uh, the Bible will always say that God is not an author of confusion. Okay? It won't confuse you. You won't be mixing falsity with the true thing. Okay? Passions in the early Islams, the monks, most of them are doing this thing. So, tongue is not exclusive to Christian. If you want to take glory in anything, take glory in what is not common to unbelievers. All right? And what I will take glory in is the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the person and the work of Jesus, that I know God. This is what I will boast about. So we must bring everything to the test of the scriptures. Lastly, I would like to read 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. So what should I look for? Again, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. I want to look for something. I need to get something now. Okay, verse 3 says, As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, all the things that I need that pertains to life, that pertains to godliness, he said he has given me through the knowledge of him who has called us to glory and virtue. Hallelujah. Yes. So he said, by which have given us exceeding great and precious promises that through this I may be partaker of divine, well, I put I, he said that you may be partakers of divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. I do not want to lust after power. Jesus Christ said that first Christ will exhibit this to deceive people. So I will not be deceived by this. I won't miss heaven. If God is still doing this thing, I say, and I say I'm not, I'm not manifesting this gift, but I will miss heaven if I reject Jesus. I will miss heaven if I reject the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Are you done for today? Are you done, Brother John? Yes, sir. All right. Um, Brother Iru, why most of us were in false church? And, uh, oh. oh, hold on, Brother Charles. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, Brother Charles. Why most of us, right, were, right. Why most of us were in uh, false church? Brother Iru was a saxophonist. I was uh, playing drums. And um, we were going for all night. We were all speaking in tongues. If that speaking in tongues was that uh, uh, powerful and it connects to the spirit, why didn't we know for years? Why didn't we know for years that we were in false religion? Why was it clear to us? But we were all spiritual. We were all speaking in tongues. So this is what happens. I have a friend. His name is Kazim. Kazim was looking for a job. We grew up together. He's a little bit older than me. He was looking for a job and uh, he was burdened with the problem of life. So he began to go to the church I was going to then. Kazim became a worker in the church. He was leading opening prayers. He became an official in the youth group and they taught him speaking in tongues. They taught him many other things that were taught in that church then. But Kazim never heard the gospel. I never believed in the Lord Jesus, the biblical Lord Jesus. But the problem of life brought him to our church. And um, 
preacher came and said, if you are you baptized in the Holy Spirit, they said, no. Then he joined people that came out. I said, repeat after me. And he began to speak in tongues. But I'm telling you, never had the gospel. But he could speak in tongues. So he has a form of godliness. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 6. He had a form of godliness. He thought he was a Christian. He thought because he could pray as a Christian, the one who was taught, he could speak in those things, but he never had the gospel. So when Brother John was saying that, for uh, uh, part of the things, part of the end time agenda is that it's going to be a false unity, a false union of the first church. These are also preambles. These are things that will also unite all these false religions together, that they will have something in common. But brothers and sisters, our unity is unto truth. Our unity is unto truth. It may be difficult, it may be hard, particularly those who love the emotional feelings that is connected to it. But I would say that, go back to your Bible. Particularly, First Corinthians chapter twelve, chapter thirteen, and chapter fourteen. Read it properly by yourself, and uh, trust that the Spirit of God will uh, speak His truth to you. We, like I said at the beginning of this class, this is not a debate class. And whoever is still praying in tongues, we are not saying you are wrong because uh, we are not yet to condemn anybody. But what what Brother John did was to strip everything naked and to present. Our Lord Jesus Christ. So don't feel bad if you speak in tongues. We are not asking you to feel bad. We are not condemning anybody. We are just saying that uh, let our Christianity be biblical. So with love from our heart, the truth is being presented today. Thank you. Go ahead, Brother Charles. All right, thank you. Please, uh, the second part of my comments, I want you to post recording. So first, before we do that, I want to uh, thank God for the life of our dear brother, Brother John. I want to thank everybody for being here. And to be honest, it's a, it's, I think what we experience today, many people don't know, it's a miracle. This same brother preaching to you, a year ago, these things were like, okay, okay. But it's a miracle that today, he could carry the truth of scripture, expand it, walk away from whatever he was doing that he knows was not according to the scripture. What other miracle are we looking at? It's only the word of God that produces the true miracle. So you can pause now. And please, for many people here, 